This is an echo from the past, a rerun if you will. And in this way new listeners can catch up and old listeners can reminisce about the past. Everybody wins. I hope you uh, check out my uh, YouTube channel. Just search Natural Alchemist channel on YouTube and you will find it. Um, I'm posting some videos over there, so check that out. Anyway, this um, Echo from the Past was released on the 22nd of March 2015. And in this episode, we listen to a conversation between psychedelic podcaster Lorenzo and shamanic explorer and author Matt Palamary. Enjoy. You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. This is episode number 23. And my name is Alex and I'll be your host. This episode features a talk between writer and shamanic explorer Matt Palamari and the psychedelic podcaster Lorenzo. And uh, this talk is titled Spirit Matters. So here we are uh, on a beautiful sunny day in Southern California uh, overlooking the Pacific Ocean, sitting here in the psychedelic salon after having survived a few more adventures in the mountains. And uh, I'm here to talk with my dear friend, uh, Matteo, Matt Palomari, about his new book, Spirit Matters. And what uh, I find really unique about this book is that, you know, you've been writing for, I guess, probably 25 years or more and teaching writing. And as far as I know, this is your uh, first, well, it's the first nonfiction work I've read that you've done. And you've probably done other nonfiction, but this is the, the first one. It's a, a memoir. Uh, so what what uh, what prompted that decision? How did you get to, <laughs> from uh, Land Without Evil, which I think is one of the most brilliant uh, novels about shamanism I've read, uh, into uh, a reality-based uh, mode? Well, thank you. Um, and I didn't pay him to say those things. I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, I began, I've been researching shamanism all my life. Um, I was into lots of things. Uh, when I was younger, and then I read uh, Carlos Castaneda books when I was uh, 18, which made a big impression, and I began researching shamanism, and uh, I went through a phase in my life where I did lots of uh, altered states research as a very young man. I won't get into all that because it's in the book, but I was researching and researching, and I took off uh, I finally got to the point where I took 13 years of my life off and didn't do anything at all. I wouldn't take aspirin if I had a headache, uh, coffee, nothing. Uh, and I was a vegetarian for 23 years. And through all my research, um, I got connected to a gentleman by the name of Terence McKenna, who really opened my eyes to some things about the plants. So... Um, I was writing novels. I've written, I think, nine novels, uh, published two of them. And I was writing a novel about uh, shape-shifting. And I was researching the uh, lycanthropy mythos. And lycanthropy, for those of you who don't know, is basically the werewolf mythos, which gets into shape-shifting. And I discovered through my research at uh, university libraries that um, there's a lot of shape-shifting, uh, particularly in South America, tied in with... Uh, visionary plants. So I did some extensive research on visionary plants 
and I wrote a novel about uh, a guy who became a shapeshifter, and I almost got it published, but uh, didn't happen for whatever reasons. But I was really drawn into um, the plants and the things that they could bring. So I first read about ayahuasca, uh, I believe it was 1990, and I knew quite a bit about it because I read everything I could get on it at the time, which wasn't very much. Uh, this was at University Library, uh, UC California, actually. And um, I was on a mission to find it, and it took me just about 10 years. And um, I found it. So I got uh, myself somehow invited to spend time with a shaman from Peru and uh, got to experience it firsthand. And it really changed my life incredibly. And so I started to pursue it more and more and more. And at this point in time, I've been working with it uh, for nine years. I've been to the jungle like 10 times doing extended uh, plant diets. And there was a period there a few years back where I was doing it roughly 30 times a year. And what was happening was, as my life was unfolding and developing and, and going down this path, is that my life started getting weirder than anything that I could write about. And then I suddenly realized that that wasn't so sudden, I guess, but my life was weirder than anything I could think up and imagine. And I also figured out that a lot of the things in my life that I thought were like normal, like I thought everybody grows up like this, I found out it was actually quite unusual. So... Um, I got pushed by a lot of people to really record my experiences and through all that um, things evolved and uh, the book came out of it um, and it's been really wonderful so far it's doing very good well you know I can uh, attest to the fact that uh, your life is quite unusual in fact uh, of course I read the manuscript a number of months ago and I'm on my second read of the book now and uh to be honest, uh, you know, I'm, I'm amazed that you're both alive and not in jail, quite frankly. I mean, it starts out with you growing up uh, in a concrete Irish Catholic ghetto. And, uh, uh, you know, some of the experiences were, to me, just totally horrific. Because I, I grew up in sort of a Ozzy and Harriet uh, kind of environment and uh, didn't grow up on the street. And uh, I, I, uh, I hope that some of the... Uh, some of our friends here in the salon, particularly uh, young people who might be having a, a difficult time of it, whether they're uh, in an inner city situation or in, uh, in a deeply uh, conservative religious family or whatever, uh, you know, a lot of you know, we all have our own difficulties going through through life. But uh, I think there's uh, a lot of inspiration here uh, for people to. To see that you know spirit really does matter as the t I don't think we've mentioned the title of the book is spirit matters and uh, you know for somebody who can can go from being a small child and have his father try to burn the house down around him and still be somewhat uh, sane and uh, I use that word loosely Thank you. <laughs> uh, you know it's it's uh, it's an amazing amazing story actually it, it reads uh, it's a page turner uh, if I didn't know it was nonfiction, I would think it's one of your better novels. So uh, it, it's got to have been pretty painful. Though. How, did, how did going through all those old memories affect you? It was fascinating because part of the journey with ayahuasca and plants is um, 
figuring out who you are and why are you here. So as part of my process, um, working and going through my life, it was, it was fascinating because I remembered things a certain way and then you recall the memory and then you suddenly realize that you really find a kind of uh, full of shit because you know you, you have a memory you get in a fight when you're 16 and you think oh I took on a gang of 20 guys or something and you realize well gosh you know now you're an adult well okay it wasn't it was really two guys not 20 you know you, as a kid you tend to exaggerate and um, blow things out of proportion so you, you made me think of a couple of things when you were asking this question and when you were talking um, one of the things I want to mention is that um, I make a joke with my wife you know why do you do this and why do you do that and if I perform, like I, I drum and sing. And I always say, it's all for you, baby. So um, this is all for you, you guys out there, you guys and gals. And um, I mean a few things by that. One of the things I mean is that um, I've gone through some really dark places. And I've done that so um, other people won't have to do that. And... Um, People were telling me for the first few years I was going to the jungle, you're going there for us, you're going there for us, and I didn't quite get it, but now I got it. So one of the underlying themes of Spirit Matters is that it's a map, and it's a guide, and I'm way out on point. Uh, the whole thing about am I sane or not, you know, that's right, it depends <laughs> on who you ask. But um, I'm on point, and I've had a lot of experiences and some very hard things I've gone through. And people tend to live vicariously through me. And I'm hoping that everyone who reads the book can live vicariously through me and avoid, I guess, actually probably literally avoid the bullets at some a few points uh, so they won't have to go through it. So, uh, you know, altered states of consciousness are fascinating and they're part of life and they're part of experience and if they're here for a reason. So there are some substances which, um, in my humble opinion, are not good for you. You know, and I'm just kind of paraphrasing here, but, you know, crystal meth, crack cocaine, heroin, I mean, obviously, don't get you to a good place. Uh, you take something like LSD or mushrooms or ayahuasca, and if you take those with the proper respect and you um, put a good intention behind them, they're really wonderful tools. They're uh, psycho-spiritual tools. When I go to the jungle... I tell people I'm going to church and I'm going to listen to mom because mom's going to give me some lessons. So um, anything has the potential for abuse. And one of the important things about doing these medicines, particularly ayahuasca, and I'm rephrasing this, uh, repeating myself, but is the intention that you put behind it. So um, I've learned these things and I've gone through these passages and uh, I'd like to think that what's taking me 50 plus years to learn and barely make Somebody who may be in their 20s can read it and go, okay, I, I got the memo. So they can avoid all that, and then they can jump ahead much quicker. So somebody could be, for argument's sake, they could be 24 and maybe be close to where I am in their investment uh, and not have to do all the things that I've done. That's a really good point. That, uh, and of course, that's one of the reasons we, we read and listen to stories so that we don't have to uh, go through some of these things. Uh, I know some of the stories, uh, and I don't know if everybody in the salon knows this, but I used to be a lawyer. Well, I guess I still am. I still have my license to lie, uh, <laughs> at least in the state of Texas. But uh, the uh, there is a lot of uh, 
uh, talk about basically illegal activities. And I'm not talking about just taking some sacred medicines. I'm talking about uh, hardcore uh, criminal activity <laughs> before uh, they force you into the service. And I don't want to give away too much of the book because uh, it is a, an exciting read and a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, every page uh, uh, has an adventure on it. I, I know that when I got about midway through the book, uh, there was a little breathing point in your life, and I thought, oh, boy, I can really relax a little bit. The tension was building up, and then I realized you're only about 28 years old at that point. And I thought, oh, no, i got a lot more to go. So, uh, But, you know, all of this, uh, this, the stories, you've been very frank, very open about it. And uh, being a lawyer, I'm, I'm well aware that all the statutes of limitations have passed, so you're not uh, exposing yourself to anything there. But uh, what do you think about uh, perhaps uh, people that might pick this up uh, and uh, see, you know, where you come from and, and maybe discount the whole story just because uh, it was a pretty rough beginning for you? Well, for one thing, it's their loss. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. But, you know, it's, it's good you made me think of something else and part of this whole process, um, particularly working with ayahuasca. There's a, um, a term that Carl Jung um, coined is called individuation and essentially we are uh, a cast of thousands um, whether it's you know okay I'm hungry I'm horny I'm pissed I'm going to kill you I love you it's all these different aspects of ourselves and when you get into psychological things and traumas uh, we tend to get somewhat splintered the worst extreme cases um, are multiple personalities which are pretty much I think 100% all brought about by molestation. Um, and what happens at a young age when you get go through a horrible experience like that... Now, you're talking about in addition to just like, not just sexual molestation, but mental... Uh, I, I think they're all sexual. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, all the cases I've studied have been. Mm. There may be other cases. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then, you know, you, you, know, you can get in often to schizophrenia and right. all kinds of weird things. But primarily, um, multiple personality, which has always fascinated me, um, always gets into... Um, a, a molestation thing and what happens is that the personality um, is under such uh, traumatic stress that it basically breaks and reforms into something new in order to deal with it because it can't deal with it so when you go through this process if you continue at it um, you begin to look for the lost parts of yourself and basically bring them home and the more you bring them home uh, the more whole you become and the more whole you become, the more aware you become, and the more you are in the moment, and the more you can deal with things. So I've been really stepping up the pace with this thing and this process. And one of the things I've learned, I have a very wonderful, wonderful personal coach who's working with me. And um, I work with her and with the medicines and working together with them. And she uh, calls things secrets. We all have our secrets. Um, and we all have our shadows, which ties in with the... Uh, which Ann Shulgin talks about quite a bit, too. Yes, in fact, in Shulgin, yeah, she inspired me quite a bit. And she um, has some responsibility for me writing this book because she encouraged me to write about some of my experiences. Mm. So um, in this shadow work, in the secrets, um, so to speak, if you're an asshole, you don't know it. And I hope that's okay to say on the podcast, but the FCC is <laughs> not here, right? <laughs> You don't know it. You don't realize it. Because what you do when you're being that is you project it onto everybody outside of you. And you make them it so you don't have to look at yourself. So the key is to find your secrets. 
and to reveal them so you can deal with them properly. Um, I've been, I, I consider myself to be blessed because I was never molested or any of that weird sexual shit, thank God. Um, but anybody who has, and it's, it's, it's happened to um, other members of my family, um, when you're a kid and you're molested and something horrible like that happens, you're helpless. And then you get all the shame and the guilt and the judgments from society that goes with it, which are really a lot of crap because you were helpless and you're innocent. So people need to realize that, you know, on one level it's not their fault and it's really nothing to be ashamed of. The thing is to do is to realize it, face it and deal with it and move on with it. So the process of writing the book was part of that process of um, rediscovering myself or selves, bringing all myself with a small s home with the self with a capital S being in charge, being, you know, daddy's home, basically, and taking charge. And one of the fascinating things that happened to me primarily with the ayahuasca is that my feminine side was non-existent. I am, and Lorenzo can attest to this, I'm the original hard ass. And I went through 30 years of my life never crying. And it wasn't like, I'm not going to cry. There was just nothing there. And, um... When I started working with the ayahuasca, uh, my femininity, my repressed femininity, which is what's wrong with our society, by the way, uh, started coming to the surface. And I had a couple of years where one thing or another just sent me bawling. Like, you know, I had a really incredible moment. Um, my mother called me one morning for my birthday. And she calls me. I pick up the phone and she goes, oh, by the way, my mom was very cool. And she calls me. And she says, happy birthday, honey. And I just started bawling. You know, I'm blubbering. I'm like, and she's like, oh, honey, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm like, and she's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm going, and she goes, is this those plants and stuff you're working with in the jungle? And I go, yeah. And she goes, okay, honey, you know, have a good cry. You know? And I got through it. So I went through this for a couple of years, and an amazing thing happened. Um, my intuition started really rising up. So, so my point here is that when I started integrating my repressed femininity and bringing it home, because it was basically abandoned and sent out to lunch or to another planet or whatever, when I started integrating it in myself, that part of me, the intuitive side of me, really, really started to rise up. And um, now it's been getting to the point where there's been a lot of uh, telepathic experiences um, and other things. So no matter where you've been in your life, no matter what you've done, um, there's nothing to be ashamed of. And some people were uncomfortable by what I've written and it comes down to this I'm not ashamed of where I came from I'm not ashamed of who I've been or where I've been I've learned and the most important thing is what am I now and what am I excuse me what am I becoming good point yeah good point. you know as you're you're laying this out just now I, I remembered our, our spiritual mentor who uh, a year or so ago told me he said well you can't change the past but you can change the way you think about it but in your case Thinking about it actually changed the past because instead of 20 guys, there were two guys. And so the, for you, the past really has changed. And the other thing that came to mind that you were, as you were talking was uh, what one of our friends uh, recently just channeled this song from his uh, deceased brother where he said, be the one you want to be with, be the one they want to be with. You know, So it's, uh, you, you have certainly uh, uh, made a lot of strides because uh, I can guarantee after reading your book, the... Uh, 
about the first 35 years of your life, you weren't the one I want to be. <laughs> you did a lot of other people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you said in, in 1990 you started really getting serious about trying to get a hold of all the information about ayahuasca that you could uh, find. And, uh, you know, it's it's uh, the more you learn about it, the more intimidating it gets, uh, at least from my standpoint, uh, and uh, and even in my case, the more experience I have. I know at the end of last week, as we were beginning our uh, final ceremony, uh, well, it was all I could do to uh, <laughs> go up front and take a sip of the tea. And and uh, you know, I was saying to myself, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And and uh, in fact, I realized that that possibly uh, one of the main reasons I've been sick for the six weeks going into it is I was looking for an excuse to get out. I was trying to find a way to not go and, and so I went sick and now I've, I'm, I'm feeling better than I've ever felt for uh, at least for many, many years. So, you know, what, what, uh, I can't answer the question for myself, but uh, what, uh, can you answer that question? What made you go to the jungle to drink this, this strange brew in the first place? And more importantly, what, what keeps you going back? Well, one of my mottos throughout my life has been, um, I want to try everything at least once. Uh, but I have to modify that because there's some things I don't want to try. Um, I don't want to try getting gang raped. <laughs> no, that's not, that's okay. I, I'll, somebody else can deal with that. That's not for me. But um, on this path, and this path is not for everybody. And that's why one of the reasons I say I go for other people and I, I do it for you. Um, one of the things about it is that you go through different levels in the teaching. Now, I think I've said this before on the podcasts, but certain substances, for argument's sake, uh, and this is my humble opinion, um, takes things like, say, MDMA and LSD. In my humble opinion, they don't have any consciousness inherent in them. Uh, they're amplifiers. Uh, LSD amplifies lots of things inside of you and amplifies your perceptions. MDMA is what they call an empathogen, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it, it can be emotional and, you know, heart opening, but they don't have an inherent intelligence. Ayahuasca and mushrooms do, and there is a method to the madness. And it's been a common experience um, to see things happening. When I'm getting within a few days of doing some ayahuasca work, things start happening that are a bit out of the ordinary um, in my life. So... They, um, I've gone through different levels where there were, it gets, there, there's a um, landscape. There is a, there's a DMT landscape, um, which I've spent a lot of time traveling in. And, um, you know, there's like the crystal castles and other things that are inherent in it. So I found that as I've gone through different levels with it, I can get to a point where I don't seem like everything it seems like I've seen it all and things aren't going to really change and well okay maybe I won't do this anymore but then I wait because uh, I see it, and then all of a sudden I shift to a whole new level and it starts teaching me something on another level and it, it takes you through um, different tests the things to see if you're ready for certain things and then I can go through an experience and then suddenly uh, that experience will connect with an experience I had five years ago and it'll make sense and it gets into the thing about um Time travel is what I call it now. Because think about this. If I remembered being in a gang fight, it was two guys, and I said it was 20. Well, that's the uh, content of that experience. Content, that's what is within it. 
But when I'm further up the road and I go back on it, I'm looking at it in context, which is the bigger picture. So when I realized that I was in an argument, I got in an argument with this guy and I got in a fight, right? And you know, he was an idiot. Um, and then I find out 20 years later that I was an idiot too, right? And that's why I ended up in a fight in the first place. Then I think, oh gosh, it's not. I, I was responsible for part of that. I have to take responsibility for my part in it. So then the whole experience changes because what I thought of as the past changes and I realized that, well, guess what? There were two assholes there instead of one, right? So I've changed the past, which changes me now. Um, you know, that's what we do. So it's been this uh, progression of teaching and learning and, and learning how to heal uh, myself and others. Uh, one of the definitions of shamanism, I think it's even a book with the title, is shamans are called uh, the wounded healers. And you learn to heal others by learning to heal yourself. So some of the hellish experiences I've gone through, I've had people come to me for a healing and they're going through the exact same experience and I'm totally with them because I know. And it gives me the ability to, to heal them because I understand the dynamics because it's a path I've already passed over. So um, the jungle is really, truly, it's just an amazing place to submerge yourself in nature, you know, no cell phones, no electricity, no, no uh, electromagnetic pollution in the air. And you're just surrounded by nature, trees and plants and, you know, birds and animals and jaguars and, you know, lions and tigers and bears. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, not really in the jungle down there, but, you know. And aren't you pretty much isolated the whole time? It's in the, yes. very solitary during the day? Yes. Uh, the main group I've gone down with for nine years uh, goes to a camp that's in virgin jungle that the shaman has. And it's a... Um, Okay, it's a tributary of a tributary of a tributary of the Amazon. Uh, might even be one more tributary there. But anyway, uh, we stay on our own open-air huts called Tombos. And um, you spend most of the time there alone. And they bring you your food twice a day. And I think I've talked about this before. It's a very mm-hmm. restricted diet, so I won't get into those details. Uh, listen to uh, the other podcast, whatever it is. You'll find me on there on, on Matrix Masters. Um but you spend most of the time alone, and, and for me, I'm a bit of an extremist, so all the whole line of the Tombos, I have, it's mine, it's reserved, it's mine, I have the very last one. So um, there's, no, there's nothing but jungle on the other side of me, and I wouldn't have it any other way. So you spend most of the time alone there, and then you meet roughly every other night for uh, an ayahuasca session, and you work with other plants. But you spend your time alone, just surrounded by all the, and the jungle's noisy. Very noisy. Um, there's animals and bugs, and you know I've had a jaguar a few times uh, down below my tambo. I got them on tape. Um, it's a very very noisy place, but you get into it. And you see, in, in shamanism, in life, everything is energy. So if you're around a bunch of cell phones and automobiles and all this stuff, there's all this unnatural energy that's in the air. And even to the point of the energy of sort of even, you know, for lack of better words, physical pollution like air pollution and water pollution and all that. You go to the jungle and you go on a cleansing diet and you immerse yourself into the vibration of nature, which is a vibration of Mother Earth, which is very pure. And you're by yourself. And if you have issues, if you're being an idiot, um, you can't project it on anybody but yourself. (laughs) So you're forced to be with yourself. And uh, you can't run and you can't hide. 
You know, you got to deal with it. So um, it's it's always been for me very very energizing. And each time, uh, Lorenzo, you remember the, the very first time I went, um, our facilitator looked at Lorenzo and kind of gave him a funny smile and basically said, uh, "Say goodbye to Matt because he ain't coming back." You know, and sure enough, kind of I came back Mateo and. Um, you know, it's ongoing. You know that uh, while we're talking about the experience in the jungle, and, and we did cover this in uh, in a couple other podcasts, uh, but uh, just a, a brief word uh, because you we, we use the word diet, I think, in two different ways. There's the diet in preparation for the experience, and then you've been using the word plant diet. And uh, uh, just so that uh, those who are just joining us for uh, one of the first times here in the salon know that. When you go to the jungle experience, there's uh, essentially five nights of ayahuasca and the every other night in the alternative days, you use different plants. You want to just say a little bit about that. That's what you, I assume, are calling the plant diet. Yeah. In uh, the diet, in Spanish, it's the dieta. And uh, the jungle in Spanish, Peru, is la selva. So it's the dieta and la selva. And it's a diet... Um, in many ways because the fact that you're removing yourself from civilization and commerce is one level of dieting and then I'll just touch on the diet briefly here um, it's it's basically okay no soap no shampoo no scents of any kind no mosquito repellent nothing and then you basically get um, oatmeal quinoa which is a protein rich grain that the Incas used from Peru rice uh, plantanos, which are baked or boiled bananas that taste like cardboard and get gagged trying to get them down. Um, there's no salt. There's no fruit. There's no vegetables. And then every two or three days, you get a piece of chicken or fish. Now, all the grains are prepared just with water. And the, the chicken and the fish is basically just cooked on fire. And that's it. And no salt, you know, for 10 days. And then you there's a plant called huayusa, which is very sweet. Uh, the closest I could describe it as eucalyptus but it's not eucalyptus and every morning they bring you the crushed leaves of that and you take a plant bath and then you're taking all these grains and stuff and you're drinking these uh, plants concoctions and you're cleaning yourself out on all levels and the jungle is tropical it's humid so you're sweating so um, you do all these things and they bring the food to you and then in conjunction with the ayahuasca you'll get another plant that you drink every day so you'll get basically a, um, it's like a half gallon pitcher of uh, a particular plant that you're working with. And these plants all work with the ayahuasca. They say ayahuasca is the mother of the plants. And then these other plants, and, and, and you know, in the uh, Peruvian shamanic tradition, these plants, each one is a spirit. And these are the spirits of the jungle. So you take this same plant every day, every day, every day, and then you take ayahuasca every other day. And it brings you um, through psychological and physical challenges. Um, sometimes they're not as challenging. Sometimes they're really hard. But you go through these uh, ordeals. And during this time, you're there, which is basically 10 days. There are longer ones, but 10 days is really long. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> Enough. Um, but you go through these experiences. And what happens is your whole cycle of life gets turned on its head you can be up all night and sleep all day and the boundaries between waking and dreaming blur and you have amazing dreams um, you know I've had dreams that were more real than real 
I won't get into it. You're going to buy the book for that. Ha <laughs> <laughs> um, But you change through this whole psychological thing and you're immersed in the jungle, in this dieta. So the dieta is keeping you to yourself away from everything else in order to uh, go through a period of self-exploration or physical. Some of them are just for strengthening the body, um, different parts of the body, some of them for different uh, psycho-spiritual experiences. And you do it for 10 days. And then at the end of the 10 days, um, the first thing you do is, is you take a pinch of salt. And they call that pinch of salt the gateway back to this reality. Um, interestingly enough, I'll give a plug for the uh, antigen review here. Um, I was doing, you know, doing these 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 dietas now, like I say, for nine years, and um, I read a wonderful article some years back in the Antigen Review, and they talked about a study that they did with rats, and they deprived them of salt for a period of time, and then they gave them salt, and it stimulated neuronal growth in the brain. Hmm. So, um, it is a known fact that ayahuasca basically rewires your brain. So, if you think about these indigenous people that go back since before dirt, I mean millennia, it's prehistoric, right? And somehow they figured out the knowledge of doing these plant diets and working on yourself with, with plants like ayahuasca and then taking it and really sort of kicking it into second gear and enhancing it with the, the whole salt part of it. Um, it's fascinating when you think about it because the neurochemistry these guys know is just mind-boggling, mind-boggling. So um, it's really something that I feel incredibly, incredibly blessed and privileged to be able to experience. Um, blessed to be to be part of that and uh, blessed to learn this knowledge that is really disappearing. Um, you know, with all the, uh, the rape of Mother Earth, for lack of better words, the abuse, um, these wonderful plant spirits who have done so much for me. And the other thing I want to mention briefly is that um, when you do these different plants, these spirits and you take them into your body for that period of time and you work with them for all that time they're always with you forever after that and you can sometimes call on them when, when the um, shaman the ayahuasquero uh, singing the Icaros he's singing to the spirits of the plants and the animals and you can call in their energies to come and help you in healing you uh, you, you, you flatter them hmm. there's an expression called uh, whistling through the forest and, you know, somebody who's unaware can walk into the jungle and just see a bunch of plants. And, and on one level, they all look the same, you know. Um, but there are spirits and forces that are hidden there. And they can uh, kill you. Some are very deadly. They can harm you. They can heal you. And when you go into the jungle and you do this thing of called sort of uh, whistling through the forest, you're basically saying, I know you're there. I respect you. And I'm asking you, you know, if you can help me. So basically, when you sing to them, you're flattering them, mm. you know? Oh, you beautiful babe. You know, if you, if, if you see a, a, a babe, you know, if you're a guy, I'll just go say a guy for the example. It, it applies across the board, uh, no matter what your sexual orientation is or whatever. But let's say you, you see a girl and you, hey, you're a sweetheart and I'm going to bring you flowers and perfume and chocolate, right? Well, you're singing to these plants and these spirits and telling them how beautiful they are and how much you honor and respect them. And part of you is also saying, you know, Please don't hurt me too much. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, you flatter them and ask them to come when you sing to them. And they come and deliver and, and uh, do healing and uh, open you up in lots of really wonderful and magical ways. Well, before we, we close, and I want to uh, make sure everybody knows how to 
find you and get a copy of, of your book, which I think is uh, very inspirational myself. Uh, one last question. I'd like to see if we can make a little distinction uh, between a, a couple words, uh, uh, Kundero, healer, ayahuascaro, and shaman. I know you go out of your way to make sure that people don't call you a shaman. You're a student of shamanism. And there's a fine distinction between some of those, but if you'd maybe just touch on that a little bit, I think it'd be good. Sure. Um, well, a curandero is a healer. And, and you know, the, it's in Spanish, the course you are, um, says it's a person who cures. And if they're feminine, it's curandera. Um, also, in, in more sort of, you know, Mexican Spanish is brujo and bruja. But that's more sort of inclined toward uh, calling them sorcerers. And sorcerer doesn't always have a uh, negative connotation as people put on it. Um, and ayahuasquero is a person who specifically works with ayahuasca. Um, I've worked with some amazing people down there who weren't ayahuasqueros, but who were um, coranderos. And they would say, one of them is really old-timer, he was amazing, Guillermo, says, I am a plant man. My father was a plant man. My father's father was a plant man, and I basically come from a long line of plant men. Um, I like to say that ultimately, if people were, were waking up, that everybody's a shaman. But a shaman could be uh, a shaman could do healing without even using any plants or substances, possibly. Um, American Indian shamans used lots of different plants and things, but they're they were different. But it doesn't matter because you're using the spirits of nature to work with. Um, Healers can be different things. Healers can be, uh, you know, a um, massage therapist and a chiropractor or a healer. doesn't necessarily make them a shaman, although they could be applying shamanic techniques. But I've worked with some uh, Shipibo Indians who were um, ayahuasqueros who were really experts at massage. So, you know, they're, they're curandera ayahuasca healers. Hmm. Um, but, you know, there are distinctions. I mean, some regular medical doctors can be healers, although some of them I wonder about. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it, I think it has to do with the energies that you work with in order to bring about the healing. And for me, in my experience and what I've learned, uh, shamans are people who are masters of energy. And part of our purpose here on this planet is to learn how to handle energy in the proper way so that we can become responsible cosmic citizens because we're dealing with great, tremendous power. And if you're not impeccable and you don't know what you're doing, you're playing with more than fire. So I uh, hope that's a good answer for... Well, yeah, and I didn't didn't plan it this way, but uh, basically what you're saying in the end is spirit really does matter. Damn straight. Damn and uh, the title of your memoir, of course, is Spirit Matters, and there'll be links uh, with the program notes for this uh, for people to be able to, to find it and find you, but uh, let's eliminate the middleman. How can they find you directly? Uh, for one thing, it's, uh, it's available everywhere, but um, uh, my publisher is Mystic Inc. Publishing. M-Y-S-T-I-C-I-N-K-P-U-B-L-I-S-H-I-N-G.com, mysticinkpublishing.com. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is mattpalamary.com, M-A-T-T-P is in Paul, A-L-L-A-M is in Mary, A-R-Y. I have uh, a section there on shamanism with some pictures and some essays and some things, and um, I get the biggest hits there, and I think it's because the the podcasts I'm doing and people who are really interested in um, these ancient healing ways. Well, Kasowak, I appreciate you saying that, and for those of you who are wondering why I'm calling him Kasowak, you need to buy the book, <laughs> <laughs> and you'll find out. Thanks a lot for stopping by, and uh, be well, my brother. 
Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Spirit really does matter. What could be better to conclude this episode than with a song from Yoon Husami's album Yakon Shama, which is an album of traditional medicine songs from the Amazon mixed with modern beats. I had a talk with Yoon Husami about this album way back in episode 3, and you can check out that episode on naturalbornalchemist.com or on iTunes. So here is Ikaro de Noma Noma, sung by Maestro Diogenes. Freedom is in the mind. I'm not